with me if you would before we come to the sermon. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Thank you. You may be seated. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, as we continue in our series, last week we began and jumped into Genesis as we work our way through the Bible um, until Jesus comes back, right? We're just going to work our way through. We are going to look at the whole counsel of God's word. Why? Because of what we just read. Because all scripture is inspired by God. As God breathed, it comes straight from him. All scripture is meant to help us grow in our faith in Jesus. And Moses, in his writing of Genesis 1 has that same purpose. He's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach, to rebuke, to exhort the people of God, to exhort us as we grow in our faith and knowledge of God. So we're coming to Genesis 1 with that sort of mentality. If we're coming into the Bible that way, what we want to do is we want to see what the Bible actually says. And so Genesis 1 is one of those chapters where we come with a lot of assumptions and oftentimes come with a lot of agenda Back to Genesis chapter 1, most of the time when people read Genesis 1, they're coming trying to prove something, either their thoughts that agree with the Bible or their thoughts that don't agree with the Bible. They're trying to prove something, and oftentimes we're asking questions of Genesis 1 that aren't there. They're just simply not there. It's not meant to tell us that, and there's a danger in coming to the Bible with our questions uh, that are the wrong questions. So I'm hoping today and throughout Genesis, we're going to, with each sermon, we'll ask some of the right questions that will begin to pose questions of Scripture that Scripture is meant to answer for us. So if you're coming looking for an exhaustive history of creation, let me just fill you in. It's one page. You ain't going to find it, right? I don't think you're going to get an exhaustive, like, multi-volume set in one page, right? We're talking about all of creation boiled down to just a few verses. So The purpose of Moses becomes incredibly important for us when we're reading Genesis 1. Because there's a lot more that could be said, it's just not said. As I said last week, I think it would be great, but really helpful, if we had a chapter in the Bible that said, here are six great arguments against evolution. That would have been a really great chapter in the Bible. We just didn't get that chapter in the Bible. Instead, what we have is a chapter in the Bible that points us to God, that we would know him, And he becomes the answer to every other question. And when we get to know God, as is the purpose of Genesis, then we begin to understand more of our role in our relation to him. So Genesis 1 is not meant to be that exhaustive history, but it is meant to be history. It is written as prose, not poetry. Even though you see repetition, that repetition is not meant to be poetic as much as it is to be teaching a primer on genesis a primer on creation a primer on god the the six days of creation are beautifully sectioned off into two sections in the first three days you have god forming the earth the last three days you have god filling the earth and that goes right back to genesis 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and was void so what does god do he forms it and he fills it so it's no longer formless and void 
And so in the rest of Genesis 1, we have the unpacking of verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. That's verse 1. Verse 2 tells us, and it was formless and void, and now God's going to do something about that. God's going to speak into the chaos, and out of it is going to come form and filling. There's a beautiful symmetry to what he does. These six days of creation are meant to point us back to the power of God, to the character of God, and who he is. And it's written as history. So I want you to put yourself into the mindset of one of the children of Israel as you're going across the desert out of Egyptian slavery and bondage, going towards the promised land, and you've lived your whole life in Egypt, surrounded by multiple false gods, idols on every side. This is what you've learned if you were a slave in someone's home. This is what you were probably forced to do in worship. You've heard and you've seen the worship of idols for your entire life. The, the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, seems very distant in a lot of ways. Even though now that you're in the middle of the wilderness, he's right there with you. He's leading you everywhere, and he's even coming within the camp in the evening to be among his people. But you don't know him. You don't know him personally like Abraham did, right? You don't know him personally like Jacob did. You're not wrestling with him. You're not speaking with him. So who is he? And Moses comes along and says, let me show you who God is. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you who he is. And I'm going to constantly repeat these phrases throughout this scripture So you'll know something about God. Now, those of you who have small children, or those of you who teach small children, what's the best way to get a small child to remember something? Repetition. Repetition is necessary for us to learn things. And so, little children, it's kind of who he's writing this to. All of us as spiritual little children, needing to know our God and Father. We need to know who he is. And so he's going to bring us back down to the primer level. This repetition also displays the perfection of God's creative work and the authoritative power of his word. He keeps speaking and things keep happening. Every time he speaks and he says, let there be, there is. And every time he repeats it, guess what? There is. And every time he says it's good, guess what? It's good. And so this repetition is meant to show us who God is. In fact, the phrase, and God saw that it was good, is actually doubled up on days three and six to just kind of finish it out. God completing his work in day three, completing his work of forming the world. Day six, completing his work of filling the world. And then he'll turn over to the animals and the plants and us to go fill the world even fuller. He'll bless us and say, go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Continuing on with his dominion over his creation. So I want you to put yourself in their spot. Moses' readers would not have had thousands of years of science to pour back on to the text of Genesis 1. Now, our tendency in the 21st century is to go, but I thought science said, right? Hey, I'm not against science. I'm all for science. I like Migraine medicine is next to this, as much as the next person, right? It helps. Allergies right now? Anybody taking allergy medicine? Yeah. We're all for science right now, okay? 
So I'm not anti-science. That's not the point here. The point is science is but a theory made up of other theories. And scripture is truth. When God speaks, it is true. And so we want to make sure we're interpreting science by scripture, not interpreting scripture by science. So we're coming to Genesis 1 and let it, let it interpret our view of God. Let it interpret our view of the world. Let it interpret our relationship to the God who made us. That's my prayer for us today. So Moses' readers would never have seen this as poetry or metaphor, nor would they have read into the days of creation some sort of literary device meant to show us this age. They wouldn't have known that. They wouldn't have seen it as that. Day means day. Now, what the length of that day is, we could have tons of conversations about that and still be Christians and still love each other, right? But the fact of the matter is, God defines that we don't. So we come back to who God is. Let's land on and err on the side of getting to know God here as opposed to what we hope or wish was in there. Okay, so Genesis 1, beginning with verse 3, says this. And God said, let there be light. Guess what? There was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And guess what? It was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now the stage is set, right? He's formed and he's begun to fill the things necessary for the rest of life to begin, right? For him to fill the earth with animate life. And so he goes into day four and God said, let there be lights in the expanse 